Jessica, whoa, I mean, sorry. <laughs> I was, I saw your daughter out of the corner of my eye going into the kitchen, and I honestly thought it was you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. We are hopefully going to cover a lot of ground in numbers today. But before we do that, we're going to actually try to review, just uh, I want you to open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 1, and we're just going to try to walk through what's the big picture of each of the chapters so far. Let me open us up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful to us, even the book of Numbers. Some books of the Bible are like a flower garden where you can just walk by and pick up flowers. Others are like a deep, deep mine, um, and it takes a lot of, lot more effort and work, and even then, sometimes we still get it wrong. But I do thank you for the book of Numbers, and I pray that you would help us as we study this book to have a fuller picture of who you are and the salvation you have provided for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to be in number seven, but let's just look through, uh, you open your Bibles, just kind of look at the, the, what's going on, and I don't mind if you just give me the, the uh, editors of your Bibles, give, me, give you uh, summary points, but you can put it in your own words or not, doesn't matter, but what's chapter one about? Yeah, there's a census being taken. All right, what's chapter 2 about? Right, so there's the, the camp, and we really talked about that there's concentric layers of holiness uh, going on in the camp, all right? Uh, chapter 3, yeah, so we're really talking about uh, Levites and priesthood. Uh, the the priests are from the tribe of Levi, but they're a particular sect of the tribe of Levi, so there's a distinguishment between the priests and the Levites. The Levites uh, were guardsmen of the tabernacle. They were uh, roadies that they carried the stuff of the tabernacle. But in general, even though the priests are Levites, they, when they talk about Levites in general, they're talking about the larger uh, tribe and um, separating the sons of Aaron uh, from that. All right, uh, and God accepts them, accepts the Levites in exchange for the firstborn, right? They belong to him. So even though uh, all the firstborn in Israel belong to God, uh, the Levites God accepts as firstborn, and they're, in a sense, a, a dedicated, uh, uh, higher holiness that's going on with them. Okay, chapter 4, what are we doing in chapter 4? Say it again. Yeah, so the, there's three, um, three Levitical tribes. And, you know, you could say the Kohathites, the Merarites, and the Gerarites, but I don't, that's not as important as just, you know, there's three tribes, 
and there's a, there's a division of labor that's going on in that in chapter 4. Okay, chapter 5. This one's kind of hard to put in a summary statement. So these are just um, these are just issues dealing with uncleanness in the camp, and they're looking at some specific issues that are happening and what to do in those situations because the the tribe the Israelites are a, an army that is marching forth. They're leaving. They're at Sinai and they're getting ready to leave Sinai. So they want the whole camp to be holy, and there's just uh, remember we talked about the ideal, and then we talked about the reality, and so there's issues going on that don't, you know, what do we do with these people? And so it's kind of answering the tough questions. Um, then chapter 6, yes, the Nazarite vow, and the Nazarite vow is there to basically give uh, regularly holy people, right, like just all of Israel's holy, but they're not on the level of priest holy, to give them an opportunity at least for a season to dedicate themselves to holiness. And so that, that's the Nazarite vow kind of allows for the lay person to dedicate themselves at a higher level for a certain amount of time. What's that? Gender equity, right. It's, it's women and men can do this. Um, and then we ended this Nazarite vow with the, the blessing. And we don't know yet how important this blessing is, but in the book of Numbers, it's going to be all about grumbling, complaining, not getting the blessing because you're not living by faith, all that kind of stuff. So this blessing being established here at the beginning is very important. All right, questions on that. We're now in number seven. We haven't got to the point yet where they actually march out of the camp and start on their traveling to the promised land but these are just all issues that are preparing them to do that. So that's where we are. Yes, Lori. Well, no, I, I think I think of a better name uh, thematically for the book of Numbers would be grumbling. <laughs> uh, but... I'm not sure, um, you know, there's a census at the beginning and a census at the end, so they, there's two censuses in the book, and maybe that's all that people get done reading, and, you know, they get to the first census and they're done, uh, so anyway, I don't, I don't know exactly why it's named Numbers, um, I don't know if I have that in my notes, uh, it might be. are sort of hodgepodge. Right, so I think, remember, Numbers is supplemental. It's, it, it's not a standalone book. So none of the issues in Numbers make sense unless you have read Exodus and Leviticus. 
So you, you understand Exodus and Leviticus, and then Numbers is like supplemental. It's dealing with those issues that need to be dealt with that were not uh, fully dealt with in Leviticus and uh, Exodus. So um, it does. It seems like a hodgepodge. It's like, why pull this, pull that, you know? Um, and the only way I have to explain that is it really is color commentary. Sports analogy, you have uh, usually two commentators, sometimes three. Uh, one commentator, their job is to give you the play-by-play and just take you through. You can, if you, you know, listen, you can almost hear, especially on the radio, you can just hear what's happening in the game if just listening to the play-by-play. The color commentator is there to just you know, talk about random things that relate to what's going on but it, it just adds. And so that's kind of how I look at this. It's also kind of how I look at the book of John, uh, more of a color commentary on the Gospels. So, okay. So that brings us up to chapter 7. <clears throat> All right. We might as well just have 12 different people read of this chapter. <laughs> So, um, yeah, let's, let's, uh, we don't, we almost have 12, uh, labels, <laughs> but let's start, let's start with, uh, Carrie and then go to Benjamin and whoever wants to read across there, um, Carrie, you're going to read the first, uh, 11 verses, and then um, the rest of them should be clear in paragraphs. So just hand the mic to the next person. They'll go all the way across, and then, um, Nathaniel, you can read or not read, up, up to you, but then pass it right over to Howard, and we'll, we'll just keep it going until we get done with all of chapter 7. There will be repetition. You will be trying to notice, like, what kind of things are repeated, um, uh, Trying to ask the question, why is this important? Those kind of things as we read. So, Carrie, if you'll start us, we're going to read this entire chapter. When Moses finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed it and consecrated it and all its furnishings. He also anointed and consecrated the altar and all its utensils. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of the families, who were the tribal leaders in charge of those who were counted, made offerings. They brought as their gifts before the Lord six covered carts and twelve oxen, an ox from each leader and a cart from every two. These were presented before the tabernacle. The the Lord said to Moses, Accept these from them, that they may be used in the work of the tent of meeting. Give them to the Levites as each man's work requires. So Moses took the carts and oxen and gave uh, gave them to the Levites. He gave two carts and four oxen to the Gershonites as their work required, and he gave four carts and eight oxen to the Merites as their work required, and they were all under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest. But Moses did not give any to the Korites, because they were to carry on their shoulders the holy things for which they were responsible. When the altar was anointed, the leaders brought their offerings for its dedication and presented them before the altar. For the Lord had said to Moses, Each day one leader is to bring his offering for the dedication of the altar. 
He who offered his offering the first day was Nashon, the son of Abimadad of the tribe of Judah. And his offering was a plate of silver whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them full of fine fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish of ten shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering, a male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Nashon, the son of Abinadad. On the second day, Nathaniel, the son of Zuar, leader of Ishakar, presented an offering. For his offering, he offered one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them were full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. One gold pan of ten shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering. One kid of the goats as a sin offering, and as a sacrifice of peace of offerings. Two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Nathaniel, the son of Zuar. On the third day, Eliab, the son of Helon, the chief of the people of Zebulun, his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the Sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs, a year old. This was the offering of Eliab, the son of Helon. On the fourth day, Elizar, the son of Sheduar, prince of the children of Reuben, did offer. His offering was one silver charger. Of the weight of 130 shackles, a silver bull of 70 shackles. After the shackle of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering. One golden spoon of 10 shackles full of incense. One bull lock, one ram, one lamb for the first year for a burnt offering. One kid of the goats for a sin offering. And for a sacrifice of peace, offering two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Eliezer, the son of Sheduar. When the fifth day of Shelu. Mur, the son of Zer Shadarai, the, the chief of the people of Simeon. His offering was one silver plate, whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. 
both of them full of fine flour, mixed with oil for a grain offering. One golden dish of ten shekels, full of incense. One bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb, a year old for a burnt offering. One male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs, a year old. This was the offering of Shemuel, the son of Zerai Shaddai. On the sixth day, Eliasaph, the son of Duel, the chief of the people of God, his offering was one silver plate, whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Eliasaph, the son of Duel. On the seventh day, Amiliam, Elishamian, the son of Amiliad, the chief of the people of Ephraim, his his offering was one silver plate, whose weight, whose weight was one hundred thirty shekels, one silver basin of seventy shekels, according to echo the. According to the shackle, the bosom full of flour, fine mix flour mixed with oil for green for a green offering. One golden dish of ten shackles full of incense. One bull from the herd. One ram. One male lamb a year old from a burnt for a burnt offering. One male goat for a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five and five lambs a year old was the offering of Elishama, the son of Amihad. On the eighth day, Gamaliel, son of Pedazur, the leader of the people of Manasseh, brought his offering 
His offering was one silver plate weighing 130 shekels and one silver sprinkling bowl weighing 70 shekels according to the sanctuary shekel, each filled with fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. One gold dish weighing 10 shekels filled with incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs, a year old, to be sacrificed as a fellowship offering. This was the offering of Gamaliel, son of Petazur. On the ninth day, Avadan, the son of Gideoni, the chief of the people of Benjamin, his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for grain offering, one golden dish of 10 shekels, full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb, a good a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five five rams, five male goats, five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Abaddon, the son of Gideoni. Wherever you want to go. <laughs> On the tenth day, Ahazur, the son of Amishadi, the chief of the people of Dan, his offering was one silver plate, whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs, a year old. This was the offering of Ahazer, the son of Amishadai. On the eleventh day, Pegil, the son of Akron, the chief of the people of Asher, his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish of ten shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb a year old, for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Pagiel, the son of Akron. On the twelfth day, Ahira, the son of Enon, the chief of the people of Naphtali, his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, 
one golden dish of ten shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs, a year old. This was the offering of Ahira, the son of Enon. This was the dedication offering for the altar on the day when it was anointed from the chiefs of Israel, 12 silver plates, 12 silver basins, 12 golden dishes, each silver plate weighing 130 shekels and each basin 70, all the silver of the vessels, 2,400 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary, the 12 golden dishes full of incense weighing 10 shekels apiece according to the shekel of the sanctuary, all the gold of the dishes being 120 shekels, all the cattle for the burnt offering, 12 bulls, 12 rams, 12 male lambs a year old with their grain offering, and 12 male goats for a sin offering, and all the cattle for the sacrifice of peace offerings, 24 bulls, the rams, 60, the male goats, 60, the male lambs a year old, 60. This was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. And when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim, and it spoke to him. Hmm. Okay. So lots of things to be uh, talked about in this section, Um, but I want to just kind of hear your first impressions, first questions Besides the people that are in Danny's class that are saying, wow, why did we, we know why we're in Danny's class now rather than in this class. Uh, but, but what are some observations or questions that you have ha- after reading through this, is it 89 verses? Pretty, pretty long. So maybe one of the longest chapters in all of Scripture, so besides uh, um, Psalm 119. Yes? Okay, so... Each offering is identical. Does anybody want to take a, a stab at, at, I mean, that is a, that's a key point that, that God is uh, establishing. Remember, he's the one commanding this. Uh, so why might God want all the offerings to be identical? Okay, that's right. So there's an there's a equal standing before God. Okay, good. Any other thoughts on that? A standard of worship. What what does that mean? Okay, so, and that's true, uh, standard, um, just remember that this, um, again, this, I'm just broadening this for you guys. In the book of Leviticus, individuals could bring offerings to the Lord on an individual basis. And we've already talked about the, the, um, the Nazarite vow, which is like an individual. So not everybody is exactly equal. But what are they actually consecrating in this whole chapter? It's said at the beginning and at the end. Not just the tabernacle, the altar is the main focus. So, um, and it is, 
What's that? Of course, but you know, <laughs> people say if it's ABC, sometimes it's the answer Jesus, they don't get it. So, well, but, but I think uh, this, what's the purpose of the altar? Sacrifice for any Israelite to come. So every Israelite has an equal access to this altar. Like they're all a part of the consecration of this altar because they are going to bring their individual sacrifices before this one altar. It's an altar for the entire people of God. Similar to what we would say with Jesus, right? That he is the sacrifice for each of us equally. Whoever's bringing, you know, you might have different types of sins that you're bringing before God on the altar, but that altar is for all of God's people. And so all of God's people have a, a part in the dedication of this altar because it's going to be for them on a regular basis. So, uh, so yeah, there's a, there's a reason why it's identical because Jesus, put it in the New Testament, Jesus is equally for Bill as he is for Gina. He's not, he's not like more so for Bill than he is for Gina, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, there's an identical sense of the, the altar being for each of us. So, all right, other observations. Yes, Lori. Right, so they, there's this emphasis on still wanting to have 12, isn't there? And, and God, he doesn't just pluck one out and say, now there's 11. Like, he wants there to be 12. And so there's a real purposeful reason why he takes one tribe, the tribe of Joseph, and splits it into two, because he's already thinking, oh, I want to have the Levites, they're going to pull them apart, but I still want my number 12, because 12 is a number of completion, it's the entirety of God's people. It's not just a portion. And if you understand the way that the camp is set up, we had these, um, um, these actual uh, diagrams. There's a symmetry to the camp, right? And I think this is very helpful, particularly when you get to the book of Revelation and you're trying to understand the Revelation numbers. There's a real symmetry that's going on in when God talks about the ideal of his people. Similar thing happens in the book of Ezekiel where God is talking about the, the end times. There's a, there's a completion. All of Israel is brought before this and all of Israel is bringing um, the, the, a standard sacrifice to God to dedicate this altar, those kind of things. It's not like portions of the tribes. Some do more than others. So, good. Yes, yes. 12 is... Yes, that's why Jesus chose 12. That's why when Judas uh, is kicked out because of his betrayal, they emphatically believe that they need to have another one brought in to have 12. So, yep. Yeah, so... uh, he regulates worship. That's a, that is certainly, he, he doesn't just say you can do this uh, willy-nil. Uh, this is how I want it. So that's good. I also, I wrote up here piano recital, so I shouldn't forget this. Now, at, most of us have been to piano recitals, right? <laughs> or some kind of music recital, right? <laughs> and, and you're there to see your kids, Right? And like the rest of the recital is extraneous, particularly when they're not that good. 
then you get some people are really good, and you're like, wow, that was fun. I enjoyed listening to that. But getting to those ones that are really good is sometimes tiresome. But I think, as I read through this chapter, and it was really nice as the LaBelles were reading it, and you had you know, a bunch of their family reading it and stuff. And so I don't know if, if Carrie and Mike felt this way, but if it were my kids, I would have a particular interest in my kids, you know, reading that text, right? It would feel like this is just like you were at a piano recital. You're particularly honed in on your kids. Do you think God got tired of each tribe coming before him and offering this, uh, this, uh, these uh, offerings? Or do you think he was like, yep, that's my boy. Yep, that's my tribe. Yep, yep. Each one, they were his. He doesn't get tired. We get tired of it because we don't identify with them. But he doesn't. He, he hears each of these, and they're equally important to him. That's how I would take this. Uh, uh, I think it's amusing that most of the church is bored with this, but I don't think God's bored with it at all as they bring these. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, other observations. The fellowship offerings. Good. Okay. So, um, yeah, so um, we had talked about some last week. that you, The burnt offering was, uh, it was completely consumed, and it was there to, uh, uh, as a part of the, it was like the foundation of every other offering. Um, then there was a grain offering, which represented your bringing the fruit of your labors to God, that was there. They had a peace offering, which often was a fellowship offering, which you're talking about. And that would be some that people would actually, you'd offer it to the Lord, but then you would also partake of it. And it seemed like God would partake of some and you would have some, so that fellowship. So I do think that, I didn't make this connection, but it's very possible that the idea that there's so many numerous ones is that God does want his people to participate in this fellowship with himself at this time. Uh, because everything's good at this time. It's, it's very, um, it's, this is a very festive time that's going on. So. Is there a bit of a connection with what Terry was saying involving that you, know, you have the people that are making sacrifices, but at the same time they're participating along the lines with uh, uh, communion in different senses? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that, that is a perfect example. Communion is a perfect illustration of the, um, the peace offering, the fellowship offering, because you're actually partaking of it, whereas the burnt offering would be us. It's a part of communion, too, because you're thinking of Jesus getting completely consumed so that you can enjoy the peace offering, right? So, um, yeah, but no, it definitely connects with communion. So, all right, other observations or questions? Good one, Carrie, one I didn't even think about. Yes, I don't really know how to connect that, uh, except that there are different there are different tribes in God's economy as church, right? Uh, New Testament, we might say even different nations, you know. But um, but you're all kind of connected. Uh, hey, I hesitate to say different denominations, you know. <laughs> but there's 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 differences. You belong to a certain tribe. There's a connection to that. So yeah, other other thoughts.
<laughs> silver and gold, right? The silver and gold helps us to understand the, the uh, metals of value. Uh, where would they have gotten this silver and gold from? <laughs> Egypt, right? Egyptians provided. So you, here in other places, the plundering of the Egyptians, you know, well, that, that's it. Part of what we have. Don't, don't be jealous of the, the glories of the world around you today because it all belongs to you anyway, and one day you'll offer that to God because he gives it all to his people anyway kind of thing. Go ahead. Yes, yes, not, this is a, this is a, uh, not just a, uh, a common, you know, eating, there's something, right, this is a very. And the Egyptians have long memories, they're still upset about that. Okay. What about these, uh, these carts? What do you notice about the carts? First few verses. They're only given where needed, right? Because so cart, God provides carts, and what are the purpose of the carts? Yeah, their their carts are what you put all the furnishings of the tabernacle on. So the Gershonites get some. The Merorites get a bunch more. They get twice amount because they're carrying all the heavy stuff, and the Korathites don't get any. Why not? They have to carry on their shoulders. Okay, but it isn't interesting that even the carts themselves have to be consecrated. Right, again, showing the importance of these things. Yeah, number one, it shouldn't even have been on a cart, should it? Uh, So... Why does the altar need to be consecrated? And what does that even mean? Huh? It's made holy. It can't be made holy in a sense of morality, right? It's just an object. So how is it made holy? Set apart for that special use. It's really set apart two ways, right? By the the statement of God that it's set apart, but also set apart and acknowledged by the people of God. When you look at this, the amount of offerings that are given throughout all of the tribes and the time that they take to do this, what are we to conclude about the holiness of the altar? It is very important to God. Right? Go ahead. Right, so the, the, the being consecrated, whatever that means, set apart, you know, uh, connected to the one who is holy, whatever you think about, it has implications that you are to be morally holy, but the actual setting apart is not exactly the same thing, right? I mean, it's, it, there's a holiness that's going on that's, that's different. There's a consecration. Uh, in Exodus, the priests would have had themselves being set apart and consecrated. They had to go through a lot of ceremonies of them having to do this. But at the very center of every other uh, holiness is this altar. It is the foundation of the rest of them, 
right? And so it, it is, uh, itself must be hallowed and sanctified. Oh, wow. I didn't even... Th- See, you guys are so good. So, so there's only one altar. There's not multiple altars, is there? To one God, one altar. And it's the only way that you're going to get access to uh, this holy God. Uh, they do use the term over and over again that this is a dedication. So you, they, the people are acknowledging that we are, we are contributing, we're dedicating this, that it is special, and, and there's a place for them to, to do that, which I think is pretty, pretty cool. They don't just sit back and watch God make it holy. He wants them to participate in it. So... <clears throat> Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, it's interesting to me that like every other offering will be offered on this altar. But then you ask like, what are they putting these offerings on like what is what is the altar that they're doing this to dedicate this one you know are they using this altar as they're dedicating it or that you know i don't know it doesn't really say um okay uh look at verse 89 And he mentions there that God speaks from somewhere. Where does he speak from? Yeah, the mercy seat. Uh, You can't see this here, but, you know, this is the altar that they're, you know, sanctifying. But here's the mercy seat in here uh, where there's the Ark of the Covenant and then they have the, the cherubim above it and right above it was called the mercy seat. Um, so, why do you think that God speaks now from the mercy seat? I mean, he is, we've, we've seen that he has even spoken directly to Moses at the, kind of like their personal tent of meeting outside the camp, but now... God speaks from the mercy seat. That's a very clear uh, kind of result of this dedication of the altar. That, okay, so the, the mercy seat is where God's presence dwells. That's, that's clear. He's speaking from there. So how is that connected with this, the altar? What's the connection between it? We've spent 88 verses talking about the dedication and consecration of the altar, and then in, chat, in verse 89, we're talking about God speaking from the mercy seat. So what's the connection between all that? He's accepting the sacrifices, and through the acceptance of the sacrifices, God has interaction, fellowship with his people. 
And it's based on works, mercy, right? Now, don't get wrong. The law is um, in the, the ark, right? I mean, it's there. The law is important. But even that is, is subsumed by this idea of sacrifice and that God is mercifully speaking with his people. This is going to be important as we go through the book of Numbers because God is going to be like wanting to get rid of his people for their rebellion over and over again. So, yeah. In some sense, all of the offerings in, in some way reflect the work of Christ, and none of them perfectly do because none of them are as good. Uh, there's, that's why I think the Day of Atonement is there. It's like it, 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 Day of Atonement reflects this, this perfect forgiveness of all sin, whereas the other ones don't do as much. Yeah, go ahead. It represents the perfect work in a sense. Mm-hmm. 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 So all of this points you to Christ. And no, no, no question, it does it in an imperfect way. Um, you could say that, God, that Christ in his, his altar, being the, the sacrifice, and as high priest, he represents all of the people, not just some of the people, you know, those kind of things. So, okay. Any other thoughts or questions on this? I, I mean, there probably is more, you know, I... I I had my limitations in the amount of I could just sit in there and think about it and meditate on it, but uh Yes. It took over a long period of time, right? I mean, this is it really is there to help us get the weight for how important this altar is. Uh, to all of their worship. And again, I think that's pointing to Christ. Oh, wow. Interesting. Ah, that, those kind of those observations are really interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. All right, so now we have a little bit more time. We won't get through a lot of chapter 8, but we'll get some of it. So let's read, um, let's read the first four verses. Um, where's our microphone? We've lost our microphone person. <laughs> Why don't you give that to uh, Larry here? Let Larry read verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you mount the lamps, the seven lamps will give light in front of the lampstand. Aaron therefore did so. He mounted the lamps in front of the lampstand, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now this was the workmanship of the lampstand, hammered work of gold, front its base to its flowers. It was hammered work according to the pattern which the Lord had showed Moses. So he made the lampstand. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the sons of Israel and cleanse them. And thus you shall do to them for their cleaning. Sprinkle purified water on them and let them use a razor over their whole body and wash their clothes 
and they shall be clean. Then let them take a full, excuse me, take a bowl with its grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, and a second bowl you should take for a sin offering. That it? Yeah, I don't know how far you went. So let's both go through verse four. Okay, good. You're starting. To, yeah. So, um, I was working on my drawing here, like art class, and actually, there were more like that. I know this is terrible, but okay. So this is the lampstand. Um, you guys are probably familiar somewhat from the lampstand. This is a atrocious drawing of it. Um, it's in it's in Exodus 25. It's made of pure gold, uh, hammered work, and it talks about its cups. And there, so there were these these cups that they could put some oil in, and then you could you could light them. Um, so sometimes called the minera. Uh, what what extra information are we given about the lampstand? In these four verses. All right, hammered gold again. That's, that's important to them. Not everything is like, some, some things are plated with gold, but this is something that is completely of gold. Good. Ah, so hammered. You want to give me a, a, a not cast. You give me a, a, any, op- any like, um, theological reason for that? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, not, I'm asking. See, that's good. I think there's something to that. Okay. All right. So it's uh, maybe the artisanship. All right. So there's a clear pattern. What's that? All right, it's one piece, not parts. Okay. These are, what are these little cups kind of? Uh, do you have any idea what they're kind of pictured as, what they look like? They're like little flowers, aren't they? Why, why do you think God would choose flowers? Yeah, does this kind of represent to you a little bit like a tree? Right? So you got uh, the tree imagery. You've got garden. What's its purpose in the tabernacle? So it's light. Okay. In fact, that would be the only light. There's no windows in here. It's the, it's the only light in that portion of the tabernacle. Otherwise, it could be completely dark. So how, um, how often do they turn this light on? It's on all the time. It's perpetual. You get to the book of, um, is it Zechariah? Let's get this wrong. They talk about Joshua and, um, Huh? Zechariah, they talk about the, the, it's like this picture of the, the, um, um, the mineral, the, the lampstand, 
but it's like, it's like directly connected to, tr- to two olive trees so that the oil is just constantly feeding it from the olive trees itself is an interesting imagery. Whereas this, you had to keep filling these, right? You had to keep putting them in. So, all right, Lee and then Jim, go ahead. fragrance um, you would think too of the a sweet savor unto the Lord very good Lee very good uh, someone up here good Jim and then Susan you know he um, and the Lord said to Moses speak to Aaron and say to him when you set up the lamps set the lamps in front of the light uh, lampstand so he's setting lamps in front of the lampstand which gives light upon the lampstand. Yeah, that's, a, that's interesting to me. Like what, is this just at the beginning or like setting it up or like what's happening? Uh, is Because there's, there's no other permanent lamps that are in the holy of, hol- of the holy place besides this one. Um, I, I'd have to think about that, Jim. Like it might have done that at the well, beginning. Well, I'm wondering, you know, it's giving light, but having lamps in front of the lampstand highlights the lampstand. Like a so floodlight. see it. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Susan, and then. Well, the, the pattern of the menorah is the same. I don't really know what the significance of the seven was, but the main candle is the one that starts and illuminates all the others. Mm. Good. Good. Okay, so um, what do you think is the, like, God is symbolically, uh, by use of signs, explaining aspects of himself to the people. So what do you think, besides being a practical light so that the priests don't earn in utter darkness, why do you think God has this lampstand? What is its uh, theological significance in there? If, if, just so you know, there's, um, there's a table with bread on it, and then there's an altar of incense. So those are the, there's only, those are the three items in this holy place. But what is the significance, one second, Susan, I'm going to give someone else a chance. Uh, what is the significance of this lampstand? Why is it there? Okay, so, so it's the, uh, the priority or the necessity of, of light from God. Uh, Okay, it has it has beauty to it. Oh, yeah, excellent. We're going to get to that. Okay, all right. Now you can go, Susan. Sorry, he was talking to me. Sorry. Responsible for giving us physical light, but he's also responsible for illuminating our minds and giving us knowledge. So this is the the mineral is. Theologians will tell you it is the symbol of God's presence, his truth, his light illuminating you, his, his um, communicating to you, uh, giving you his presence. Go ahead. Uh, there's all, isn't the number seven somewhat significant too? Because you have six those and we have six days and then you have seventh day, which is the day of rest. And that's in the center. So I wonder kind of what that may have to do with Okay, so, so let me finish. So then, so then uh, in the New Testament, Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world, right? 
So he's basically saying everything that was symbolized in this here is fulfilled in me. I am the light that, that you need. I am, the, I am the light of God's presence to you. Okay? So he says that uh, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay? So, but then, uh, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is God's giving. Jesus says, I'm going and I'm going to bring you another helper. He will, he will enlighten you. He will guide you into all truth. He will be the one that will give you the light that you need, right? And, and so we, it's usually established that this is a picture of Jesus being the light, and it's also a picture of the Holy Spirit, God's presence to give you light that you need to actually live in this dark world, okay? Which then makes sense, and we'll close with this today. If you go to Revelation, and um, I am uh, needing to have somebody, t- uh, is it Revelation? Yeah, there it is. Verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12. John is, is um, writing of the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning... I saw seven golden lampstands in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man clothed, long da 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 da. So it's usually, and he then says later that these seven lampstands are the seven spirits of God. And a lot of times we're like, there's only one Holy Spirit. How is there seven spirits? That doesn't make any sense. Well, John, typical to the book of John, is using symbolic language to describe this, and you can see in the churches, the seven churches that he sends his, his word to, that there, there's a sense that the Holy Spirit is, is the one who's enlightening that church. Some of them are in danger of losing their light, but, but this idea that the reason of seven comes back to this right here. The seven spirits of God is really just speaking of the Holy Spirit enlightening Jesus Christ, because that's what you're really enlightening, because he's the one true light. The Spirit is shining light on Jesus Christ in the hearts of his people to follow and obey him. 749 Jubilee. Yeah, I mean, you can can go, I mean, I'm not saying there's not a connection to that, because the seven is complete. I just haven't haven't made that, but it's a possible connection. So, yeah, Uh, yeah. So, but anyway, the point of this is, now that, now that the sacrifices have been done, the altar is there, people, he's, God is enlightening his people, and Moses is speaking to his people, and the very next thing you go to is the lampstand, which is what you need to experience God's presence, to hear God's word, speaking to you, enlightening your heart. That, that's how you're fed. And all those things are represented in the church service too, right? You have the, the person up there speaking the word of God, but only as he is speaking from the truth from the scripture of Jesus Christ, illuminated by the Holy Spirit. All these things are a part of our worship. They're just in 
less symbolic, less outward beauty, uh, but actually more depth of significance and reality in your life. That's how we would take that. So we don't need to, we don't need to have a lampstand. It is, it is in the preached word as the Holy Spirit is illuminating your hearts, that kind of thing. So, all right, let me just close this. Father, thank you so much for the truth of the book of Numbers. Thank you that you love all your people and that you will one day redeem the entirety of all Israel because of the one sacrifice that you made on the altar for our uh, cleansing, for our forgiveness, and we just praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.